fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final Hey everybody and welcome to episode number 24 of season 3 of the Fantasy Fullback Dive brought to you by the good people at the Rotor Street Journal. I, of course, am your host, Nat the Truth Jones. With me, as always, the Wolf of Rotor Street. The Fantasy Fullback Dive, of course, is the one and only fantasy football podcast that's going to pave the way for you lifting your league's trophy or, uh, you know, whatever the reward is for at the end. But it's going to pave your way to fantasy championships in the 2018-2019 season, rest assured. Uh, Endorsement of that, Wolf? You would agree with that assessment of the Fantasy Fullback Dive? 100%. 100%. Yeah, that's why we named ourselves the fullback dive, that gritty, you know, pounding it up the middle so you can pave the path through all the shit of uh, your league mates and whatnot. It's always a congested pile, but we're going to pave right through, open the gaping hole for you to score right into that end zone, baby. Absolutely. The fullback yeah. dive's where it's at. So consider the way paved as long as you're listening to this pod. Um, it's been a long time since since I've seen you, Wolf. This, I know we've both been on some family trips. I've been in the the deep heart of Maine, no service, no connection at all, which was lovely to get it off the grid for a few days and kind of purge yourself of technology. Uh, it was fantastic, but the best part of it is you come home revitalized. You're ready to get back on and get on the grind for these next couple months. You know, this is where the heart of the football season is, or fantasy prep season, I should say. Uh, and now I'm just so refreshed. It was good to have a few days off and I, some insight to the meditation in the woods of all the. Uh, fantasy guru knowledge coming to me from all the main uh, interesting nature I saw. So it's lots of good insights coming out of there. How was your trip? Where have, where have you been again? I went to Delaware for a week with my family, which is like, I would never, I mean, you would think like Delaware is not a place you would go voluntarily, right? Not really. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the it's reason. not on my list. <laughs> the, no, no, me either. I mean, Anna, I mean, we we are pretty firm on Delaware being about the worst state. I mean, I'm not saying it's the worst state in the country because I think there's some like that I, I don't even want to touch. But when we, we've driven to my parents' house, we have to drive through Delaware and the drive through Delaware is miserable. I mean, it's yeah, just the tra- oh, I, I mean, it's just like it's there's just nothing there. And sometimes you stop and start traffic. We went there oh. basically just so we wouldn't have to drive all the way to my parents' house. So it's about two and a half hours closer to us. So I'll take it. But I mean, yeah, yeah it was I had to keep telling myself the kids had a good time. And so, okay. yeah, <laughs> not a restful, relaxing. No, not even. A, I'm a guy that likes to be like, you know, in my own bed, in my own house, all that stuff. So yeah. uh, anyway, uh, it was it was good. We got back safely. Um, it was nice to see the family, but I'm glad to be back on the fullback dive starting right mm-hmm. now. Me too, man. Absolutely. So we have, you know, I want to say like a, a pretty packed agenda, if I'm being honest. Um, yep. You know, we got a stock watch that is going to be featured. We got five different stock watch uh, just blurbs for you, uh, some some of which are, are pretty obvious and some of which you might not be as as uh, you know aware of. Uh, and then we got our feature segment, which we're going to talk about three offenses 
that we could really see having major, major turnarounds. Uh, you know, and, yeah, and we're, we're talking about down. we're talking about bad to good. What'd you say? Mm-hmm. I ended up trimming it down to just uh, two, just because I was making the stock watch and it was so loaded that I didn't think we'd have time to go Fine. over all three. So I picked the two most Fine. horrendous. If you can give me two that are legit turnarounds. I will certainly let the let it slide that the third one fell by the wayside. Um, Absolutely, and we're actually we're going to finish up with a mailbag, which we have not done in quite a while. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, all right, you ready to get to, get into the stock watch, Wolf? Absolutely, let's do it. All right, let's do it. We're going to start uh, stock watch one of five. Uh, the Packers running backs, NFL suspended. Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, who I picked up for the stretch run of my fantasy league title last year um, and did okay for me, but didn't blow up like I'd hoped he would. He suspended two games for violating the league's substance abuse policy. Um, you know, the guy likes his weed. Yep, exactly. Right. Yeah, pretty pretty obvious uh, suspension coming. He pleaded no guilty to this a while ago. But what does it mean fantasy-wise? Uh, obviously, Jones has to take a pretty significant bump down, even though I love him the most in terms of talent for the Packers running backs. He was by far the most explosive guy last year. The only guy that really benefited from an offensive line that generated the most yards uh, before contact. So they were paving great holes. Uh, but nobody else was really taking advantage of that outside of Aaron Jones, who averaged a ridiculous amount more of yards per carry on his than did the plodding Jamal Williams, than did the pathetic Ty Montgomery up the gut. But ultimately, that doesn't matter if he's not going to be on the field. And when you look at an offense like the Packers, I think it's a huge risk to remove yourself out of those early games because when you're in an Aaron Rodgers offense, that thing's going to churn. It's going to be a machine. It's going to work. Jamal Williams is excellent in pass protection, which is what's pretty much most important for a Packers back uh, to be solid at. So you look at all that, you imagine the Packers get off to a hot start. Why would they fix what's not broken? Sure, you, you hope they recognize, Mike McCarthy recognizes that Aaron Jones can bring this offense to a new level and, and elevate everybody else's game mm-hmm. too. But ultimately, if it's working, they're scoring 28 a game as they always do with Rodgers. Why would you remove, uh, why, why would you break why would you fix what's not broken, essentially? Uh, so ultimately, I give Jamal Williams a pretty healthy bump up. I give Montgomery a solid bump up as well with a more clearer lockdown on that pass-catching role. Um, and, and Jones definitely falls down the list. Williams now more of a, an upside flex play. He was kind of that shaky, who's getting the work, how's it going to be distributed. Now he becomes, with that role clarity, uh, an upside RB3, in my opinion, a guy you can put in your flex and feel okay with. I mean, remember, this guy did absolutely wreck it down the stretch for fantasy. He crushed it. I owned him last year, and it wasn't pretty. He was getting tons of carries, 20, 25, a bunch of receptions, and really not doing a ton with it. But ultimately, the volume was enough to carry him. That volume won't be there with Aaron Rodgers, but the scores could still be there. And again, that pest protection is the most important. So I really like what Jamal Williams could bring to the table at this point with Jones removed. I mean, I agree with all that. It's, it's very, very hard to argue with Jones taking a hit going down. But I want to remind you, and I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, running back position where health is never a guarantee. And we know that Aaron Jones is an explosive option. If you got, say, a five or six, uh, say you got a six running back limit thing on your roster, you know, mm-hmm. picking up Aaron Jones and stashing him and throwing him in, in the last spot, if you can afford to do that, that might be something that really pays dividends down the road. 
Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying he's undraftable. I think that's a great point. Now, like this is he goes from a guy that I was targeting in round like eight or nine to a guy that, you know, his price is going to fall pretty significantly. I imagine it's already 103 right now, uh, which I, I think is going to take a pretty big leap forward because Jamal Williams is going at 99th overall. I imagine that's going to get a, a steady 12 to 20 or so uh, picks up. Increase and Aaron Jones will probably fall at 120, 130. I think that's going to be a good value. I mean, like you said, he brings a ton to the table 5.5 yards per carry, led the NFL in terms of individual yards per carry versus team yard per carry differential. So, I mean, the guy brings by far the most to the table, ripped off 15 plus yard runs on every 10.1 of his carries. Mm. Uh, nobody else, Williams had one 15 plus one on 153 of his totes. So, Jones had six of 20 plus yards, more than Le'Veon Bell, Leonard Fournette, and even Alvin Kamara on like a third of the works. So, I mean, the guy is incredibly explosive. You're right. Huge upside. I think, if anything, this just makes him, you know, a great stash. Along the Chubbs we talked about, becomes an excellent stash at a much better price. Maybe this ends up helping Jones' fantasy stock because he becomes such a good value. It's a great point. Well, all right. Look, that actually moves us pretty seamlessly to stock watch number two of five, mm-hmm. uh, and that is Le'Veon Bell. And, I mean, he's been in the news quite a bit recently, just the last, like, day or two, uh, with the stories swirling around Pittsburgh that the guy might be actually sitting out some of the season, maybe even the first half mm-hmm. of the season. Um, but the first question, obviously, that everybody wants to know, who likes weed more, Aaron Jones or Le'Veon Bell? <laughs> they just rip down the blunts together. I, I'd go Le'Veon Bell, though. He's a notorious just blunt ripper. Yeah. So let's go with him. All right, that's fair. I would also uh, you know, put the odds uh, negative uh, minus 150 on the big board on Le'Veon Bell versus Aaron Jones as far as it's just how much. Yeah. yeah, sure. I mean, Aaron Jones clearly likes his weed as well. Um, <laughs> all right, so, of course, as I just alluded to, um, you know, Le'Veon Bell has indicated, hey, I might sit out the first half of the season. <laughs> Right. Um, and I mean, I suppose the obvious thing that you're going to say is, yeah, this makes Todd Gurley the unquestioned number one pick in the draft. Really tough to argue with you. I got to admit. I was going to say, does this change your opinion? Because mine's always I mean, if, the guy, if the guy might sit out eight games, yeah, of course that changes my opinion. It's not like I think Le'Veon Bell was like head and shoulders above Todd Gurley. Yeah. He's the guy like assuming they're going to both play and stuff, even taking Le'Veon Bell's like, hey, I'm always – I'm always a day away from being suspended for smoking weed. I would still have taken mm-hmm. Le'Veon Bell probably, just that his track record is, is second to none. But if, if there's, like, hints that the guy is going to miss it, extended time, I mean, in eight games, I mean, come on. Yeah, I would definitely take Todd Gurley. I would take a lot of guys over Le'Veon Bell if there's a chance he's going to miss eight games. And I mean, who knows? Maybe somebody will get him with, like, the sixth pick and get a, a great deal. But, but uh, yeah, I'm not trying to play that game. Absolutely. And it comes from Adam Schefter, too. I mean, a very reliable source. Uh, but ultimately, Bell, since the deadline passed, again, this is Monday we're recording. I think it's going to drop tomorrow. Uh, since it's been four o'clock, the deadline passed for a long term extension. Bell did tweet out and say, My desire has always been to retire a Steeler. Trust me, 2018 will be my best season to date. That doesn't suggest a guy that's getting ready to hold out half the season. So ultimately, I think that's going to be a non issue. Obviously, the risk that it even could happen is huge and it, it propels Gurley to the, the number one pick. Uh, but let's say he actually does play, which I again do expect. 
I would also expect him to, again, start slowly. He even admitted that you have to build that chemistry with your line. You have to get your game legs under. You have to get in game shape. And we saw last year, he started out horribly. I owned him in a couple leagues, and he was kind of a, a you know game killer for me in those early fantasy games. He only scored 13.9 total fantasy points over those first two weeks, which would be like a bad single week for him. But that was over two weeks span. The RB26 to start the, the early season uh, was awful. And you can expect a, another slow start if he's missing camp he's not building that chemistry with his line like he mentioned and he's not in that game ready shape that's what's the bigger concern to me I mean obviously the eight game suspension would be killer for his fantasy value plus what if this becomes an issue where he's complaining he's getting worked too heavily the, the whole reasoning behind the eight game skip and holdout would be he wants to preserve himself for a 2019 contract is what Schefter said uh, make sure he's not worn and torn and this nobody else wants him after he had 406 ridiculous amount of touches last year what if that becomes an issue what if he says less in my le- uh, workload if you're not going to sign me and commit to me uh, again I don't see any of that really happening the only real issue I think is going to be that slow start why even deal with that though if you still got a girly who's the same exact cheat code status unbelievable individual talent that's going to get 20 to 30 touches every single week in an explosive offense behind a good line I mean both situations are fantasy cheat code status give me the one that comes with really no risk at all sure but the girly thing isn't the conversation now the conversation I mean I, that's obvious the the the, okay. the issue is like who who do you bump above Bell now? Because mm-hmm. I'd have a real hard time putting him number two overall, given this. I mean, you know, that, I mean, would you? Wouldn't you take uh, Antonio Brown over Le'Veon Bell right now? Oh man, that, it, it's so hard because the tier was just so clear. Girl. Early yeah. and and Bell because they're just those two purest workhorses. I'd have a hard time unless it like stuff started to continue emerging that he is definitely going to be serious about this holdout. And it, you know, I, I couldn't pass up on that 406 touches and that you know insane volume. Even if it means a couple games to to begin this, the early season, I, I couldn't pass up on that. Even as good as Antonio Brown is, Zeke. Zeke, I know CJ would take Zeke above him. I know I CJ has Zeke one overall. That that gets a little bit hard. I wouldn't do AB, but maybe Zeke pushes himself in that conversation. I'm still taking Bell number two overall as of today, unless there's some more ominous signs uh, well, emerging from camp. Well, I mean, obviously, this this is going to work itself out by the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's right now we're you know we're in mid July. We've received this news. There's panic among. I mean, like the fantasy stock market. You know, ultimately, this, I mean, we just nailed down the date for our fantasy draft for our hometown league. It's in like a month. This is going to have, like, obviously, there'll be more information on the table by then. We won't have to make a decision with the limited amount of information that we have. But right Mm -hmm. now, given the information that is on the table right now, if you had to draft like tomorrow, I think it would be a little nuts to take this guy number two overall. And I, again, like probably not worth arguing about for too long because most people are not drafting right now. But, you know, you had this guy number two on your board. Now there's news coming out from a very reliable source that he might miss half the season. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I'd put him down to two. I mean, that seems a little bit odd to me, you know. True, true. All right, let's move on to another guy whose stock uh, is legit taking a hit, not not going down from two to two. Uh LaShawn McCoy, as you know, uh, the truth has been a loyal supporter of LaShawn McCoy for a long time. Uh, I was the guy that that, you know, called a couple years ago 
Uh, the, the, the Wolf had him too low. Uh, he ended up having a great season, had a very solid season last year. I was debating whether I was going to keep him. We get to keep two guys. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be keeping him. Um, obviously, some pretty sketchy stuff going on with a former girlfriend of his that like wouldn't move out of a house that he owned. And like some guy or guys broke in and, and beat her up and demanded like specific pieces of jewelry that LaShawn mm-hmm. McCoy had given her and had wanted back on a few occasions. Um, it, it's a bad look. Uh, and yeah. I, I don't want to say that, that Shady was responsible for this. I'm a, a big fan. I've always liked the guy. Obviously, this is really serious, um, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of whether he orchestrated this or not. It's a very serious thing. I have no idea. I've heard originally it was like, yeah, he did it. And now, like, his ex-girlfriend's come out. And I've seen all these headlines where she's like, she's not sure if he did it. Well, that <laughs> that is not a ringing endorsement. Um, I mean, obviously, he didn't do it. He was at training camp in Florida. He has a solid alibi. The question would be, did he send, like, some thugs to her house? Anyway, that's a big deal. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, and so, uh, you know, just quick thoughts on that, Wolf. Absolutely. It's a huge risk anyways to draft Shady McCoy if we remove this whole looming situation out of the equation. He was going you know, right at the turn of the first round anyways, uh, which I had him 10 to 12 spots below the expert consensus rating, and that was because he's 30, high mileage. Those risks about a breakdown were obviously already there, plus he's going to be playing maybe the worst offense in the entire NFL this year. The Bills have no semblance of firepower, no semblance of a competent quarterback, lost three of their best, their three best lines uh, so now they're working a makeshift line. Everything was already against Shady. And then you add in a potential suspension, a potential just a horrendous guy to root for. I mean, none of this adds up to me. Ever. I didn't want Shady. And now he's just falling uh, even further. He was about 26 on my big board right below Kelsey before the news. Now I have him going down to 38-ish around Christian McCaffrey range and obviously the room to fall completely off the big board if he's suspended for a lengthy amount of time. Uh, Either way, I wasn't drafting him anyways. This news isn't going to obviously help his case. It's just more risk. I did an actual – my first best ball draft of the year. Um, which is, I, I don't know if you ever played those, Nat, but the way it works is your lineup is formed by, you, your weekly lineup is just automatically made for you based on who is your highest scores. Uh, you don't ever make any roster moves. You don't trade or anything like that. Um, but it just automatically calculates what your score would be. And this news kind of broke this week, obviously, as I was doing this draft. Shady was still lingering in rounds four, even five. And I... I didn't take Jordan Howard over him. I took, you know, a bunch of receivers, Josh Gordon over him. Um, and, and I still would stick to that. Shady is just a huge risk right now. Got to avoid the guy. Well, at all I would costs. absolutely take Josh Gordon over him. Are you kidding me? And, that's, and, that's and, 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 that's, and I mean, Josh Gordon's not exactly squeaky clean. Not at all. No, I mean, Josh, yeah. right. I mean, if you told me tomorrow, Josh Gordon, like they found him in like a ditch, passed out, like surrounded <laughs> with like weed and pills and, and, you know, uh, Robitussin or something like that. I would be totally huh? shocked. Yeah, getting real hardcore with that cough medicine. <laughs> no, nah, I used to when I when I was on a fish tour in the nineties. I had this buddy that used to just chug bottles of Robitussin. Uh, mm. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't recommend it, folks. Anyway. Would you take Jay Ajayi or Lashawn McCoy if you're drafting today? Who Jay, would you take? Jay Ajayi. Yeah. I think I would too. Mix in Penny McCaffrey, like all those guys. It's like I, I don't, I don't want Shady anyway. So this just gives me another reason to throw this, him down. There. I mean, I was nervous about him anyway, but I really, I like him, and I thought he was going to get a lot of carries. 
um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of receptions and stuff like that. But, I mean, there is a chance with an allegation like this that whether it is, like, conclusively proven or not, that just the fact that his name is associated with a stink like this, I mean, yeah. you could get thrown on, like, the exempt list or something like that. It's it's possible. I'm not saying yeah. it's going to happen, but it's possible. And that is a level of risk that I'm not trying to touch. And you couple that with, like, you know, an extensive level of risk anyway, as you've pointed out time yeah. and time again. Nah, don't even. Like, don't be stupid. No, All right, Bob. All right let's talk our, our last two stock watches. These are actually penny stocks. DJ Moore, uh, the Panther, Panthers.com's Mac Hens- Max Henson writes that first round wide receiver DJ Moore has, quote, looked more than ready to contribute. I love these hardline quotes these guys bring out. Uh, he's looked more than ready to contribute during the offseason. Wolf, thoughts? I, I think he's absolutely more than ready to contribute. Obviously, they put some high draft stock uh, capital into this guy, and it's a pretty wide open situation. I know Devin Funches had a career year last year, eight touchdowns once he was moved to that X role where he's more uh, better suited, better fitting. But our new coordinator here, Norv Turner, loves speed. And if there's one thing Funches doesn't have, it's speed. He's size, he's big, he's rangy, which Turner does love. But you need to be able to put on the jets and burn if you're thriving this offense. And we got DJ Moore coming him with four four two wheels quite a, a six you know thicker frame and as report mentions great after the catch he's often compared to running back once because he's so dangerous i see him easily ascending the top of the stat chart the only issue there is north turner also loves targeting tight ends and running back historically those guys have garnered more looks than his receivers throughout his his career um unless they had a true target hub like Mark, michael urban or people of that nature and i don't think that more directly projects this so is he a penny stock yeah absolutely especially if he is a bunch of catch and run situations, but yeah, that's also not nerve turner. It's just it loves to throw it vertically, loves to burn it deep. I'm gonna take those low percentage jump ball opportunities. So I don't. None of this all seems jive necessarily with what we've seen historically from North Turner. So as much as I do like more as a talent and his potential opportunity in this offense. The big calling history doesn't seem to align with a massive season. At 130 overall, though, if there's ADP, is it worth a stab? Absolutely. Although that, again, is the range where I'm usually taking my starting quarterbacks. So I probably won't end up with him. I can see a case that can be made for him, uh, but not a guy I'm going out of my way to necessarily reach for because a, a reporter suddenly said he could contribute. Like, nothing, nothing to me. doesn't add much to him. Uh, I'm sorry, we were experiencing a few technical difficulties with the end of that DJ Moore assessment. But, uh, you know, good points. And although it sounded like you were talking on a phone, I'm pretty sure the listeners will will have absorbed all that stuff. But that, of course, brings us to Stockwatch 5 out of 5, our second penny stock one. And this uh, is, you know, to say this guy's a household name would be maybe selling him a little bit short. That, of course, <laughs> is Blaine Jarwin. That's Blaine Jarwin, Cowboys tight end. Talk to us a little bit about Blaine, Wolf. Yeah, so Rico Gathers is kind of the popular fantasy darling after he had a huge preseason last year. Uh, but apparently, according to all reports right now, it's actually this creature named Blaine Jarwin, an undrafted free agent out of Oklahoma State that's making all the headlines at early camp. He's reportedly become a regular target for Dak Prescott, both up the middle and, quote, particularly in red zone situations. And ultimately, it kind of makes sense if he's the guy that's emerging because over 50% of the team's 2017 target total is up for grabs. 249 looks, including tons of red zone volume between Des Bryant and obviously who playing 
Jarwin's filling the position for, Jason Witten, who just obviously retired this offseason. It sounds like he's the one. He's getting praised all offseason by Stephen Jones. No tight end on the roster, said uh, John Machada. Some reporter from uh, Cowboys said Stephen Jones, and no tight end on the roster has received more praise from Stephen Jones. Um, and just in general, he's – He's been you know, dominating in camp. Early last offseason, he was on the practice uh, roster all year, and then they thought the Eagles might try to poach him when uh, Zach Ertz went down. So they ended up moving him up, which was kind of a, an early sign that they really liked this guy, liked what they were seeing in practice. They didn't want him to, to get stolen, so they cut their quarterback, Kellen Moore, their backup QB, just so they could keep him. Uh, they, there's just been signs that they really like this guy. He's developing a good rapport with Dak Prescott, and there's a lot of volume open there. So I, it's really a sleeper to lead this team in receiving touchdowns this year when you look at the talent they have around him maybe it's worth a, a last round stab to get Blaine Jarwin he ends up being that tight end that catches 11 touchdowns out of nowhere totally possible you heard it here if uh, Le'Veon Bell's stock continues to fall and you've got the number two overall pick Blaine Jarwin a legitimate option uh the wolf <laughs> said it here first um, yeah compare those two very similar talent teams uh, absolutely just to be clear like uh, that's a total lie I don't want this audio clip getting out and uh anybody pinning the wolf uh saying Blaine Jarwin could go number two overall. <laughs> that was pure comedy, folks. Uh, exactly. Whether you no, it's it was funny, though. I texted CJ, who knows pretty much every football player that's ever played, just because he's, he's so versed in the college game, because he covers OSU for another site. And I go, can you make me a penny stock for Blaine Jarwin? He goes, that typo? Who, who are you talking about? And I was like, no, nah, Blaine Jarwin. He's like, I've legitimately you know, never – heard of this guy ever uh but yeah he's a pure pass catching type of tight end that was his kind of mo coming out of college not much of a blocker but a smooth route runner decent hands and building the rapport well, who knows you, you want to know something that we hate in fantasy football blocking tight ends <laughs> completely useless right so there's a check for mr uh, jarwin all right and well, speaking of that rico gathers i mean the fantasy darling they're saying he's lined up at tackle even in otas and just the team is not committed to him so i really hope they cut him i'd love to see rico gathers go to let's say the chargers who completely have a, a tight end hole after uh hunter henry's injury and they love targeting the, the tight end historically so hopefully maybe he gets cut and goes there but until then blaine jarwin's just going to destroy his fantasy stock apparently all right, folks, you heard it here first or second or somewhere pretty early on the uh, on the list. You heard it here. James Iron um, Trains. When here. we come back, we're going to talk about two major offensive turnarounds right after this. Are you listening to me? What do you want to do with your life? All right, we are back. Three major offensive turnarounds, which became two major offensive turnarounds, although we were going to maybe chat for a couple minutes about the Giants right here. Um, all right, so, I mean, when you do a piece like this, and, and the Wolf actually did put a, quite a bit of work into this, um, you know, you want to establish the general importance of spotting an offensive turnaround. I mean, uh, you got big fantasy value with people that are priced, you know, maybe not where we think their potential is, uh, because you got a bad taste in your mouth from 2017. Give me an example of somebody that left you with a bad taste in your mouth uh, in, in 2017. Give me, uh, give me an example. I mean, we're going to talk about Tyrod Taylor in a second. Let's, so okay. he, 
There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, if Tyrod Taylor left you wanting a little more, you know, the price tag is almost certainly going to reflect it. Uh, be reflect that. Jai, right. Now, I mean, when Tyrod is interesting because he changed teams, sometimes a change of setting um, can make you shake off that bad taste just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's talk about an offense that's destined for a big turnaround, and, and that's the Giants. I mean, you got yep. Saquon Barkley as a top five guy. Um, yep. and, you know, wasn't on the roster. Odell Beckham, who you love, I like, but I don't love, uh, you know, missed most of the season last year. He's going to be back. He's going to be healthy. Uh, this is a, a big deal. Let's put it that way. I mean, the Giants receiving core could be big time. They got Evan Ingram. They got uh, Saquon Barkley, like we said. Now, they finished, I think I want to say, 29th in the league last year in, in the- points. The Giants actually finished uh, thirty, the second to last, so thirty first okay. uh, on the list. Second to last, yeah. 15, 15 points and change a game. Fifteen points, yeah. And the thing with the Giants too, you're, you're bringing them up, and it's. I'm glad you're kind of segueing with this. Is you, you mentioned Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham. There's no discount baked into those guys' value because of the awful taste. So it doesn't. You know that that's an obvious offensive turnaround that we're talking about there. Pat Shermer, an excellent play caller, right. that's going to use his talents to the most. I mean, you got Sterling Shepard, maybe a good little sleeper if that offense is taking off. Evan Ingram, most people take rounds five or six, which I think is great value for him. Uh, the only guy there that might be a huge value is we like all 180, 190. I hate the guy has a talent. I think he's god awful at this stage of his career. But if all these other weapons are going to take off, why would Eli be nothing other than a QB one? Which just kind of furthers, you know, that argument that we keep talking about. Wait on quarterback. Wait on quarterback. Again, I'm not taking a quarterback till round 12 at the earliest this year. Um, I just even, would. I'd I, never feel comfortable rolling him out. I just wouldn't. I, I wouldn't either, because any any given week you're getting a negative two point dud where he throws like three picks. I don't trust him at all. I really, yeah. really, really don't. And I get what you're saying. I mean, the weapons are around him. If you're going to say, "Oh, OBJ is going to have a huge season," uh, Evan Ring- Ingram's going to be a top five tight end. Right. Uh, Saquon Barkley is going to be a top five overall pick. Um, who, they got Sterling Shepard too. I mean, and, and exactly. Who, I mean, is he their two receiver? Or do they have a? They, am I forgetting somebody? Well, they had Brandon Marshall last year. He's well, gone right, now. But he's so, gone. I mean, so is yeah. Shepard now the number two guy? He's their number two, yeah, playing strong, slot. And strong sorry. offense. I mean, so, I mean, you say, okay, I like this guy, I like this guy, I like this guy. I mean, just by proximity, you almost have to like Eli Manning, but I don't like Eli Manning. And that yeah. is really one of the things that is, is the biggest factor when I shy away from saying OBJ is, like, one of my top guys. I just, like, I can't bring myself to do it. Um, and, and it's fair. Um, but again, the, the the reason we bring them up is right. that's an obvious offensive turnaround. There's no real value outside, you know, Shepard and, and Eli Manning there. They're going to benefit from this turnaround. But a lot of times, like the Rams last year, for example, you don't see the offensive turnaround necessarily coming. And that's why you get a, a fantasy MVP in Todd Gurley, even at the beginning of round three in some drafts last year. Uh, you know, all those receiving weapons from Robert Woods, who exploded Cooper Cup, who we called, but you could still get in your last round to Jared Goff becoming a top 12 quarterback last year. That all happened because of this huge offensive turnaround. And if you can find those unobvious teams, those teams that, you know, nobody's truly buying into yet, and then you invest in them fantasy wise, you end up getting a huge value, uh, you know, the differential between their actual price and what they end up putting on the field is enormous. And there, I think there's at least two teams this year that project very similar to the, the way the Rams leaped up as 
as unobvious offensive upgrades, uh, different from the Giants, of course, who get Odell Beckham and Saquon Barkley's huge weapons, and that was all his fanfare. These teams are kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Yeah, so I agree with you. The first one we're going to get into is the Cleveland Browns, which probably doesn't come as a surprise (laughs) to like a lot of you. I mean, I agree with you that that they are due for a big offensive turnaround. I don't agree with you 100 percent. I don't think you're crazy or anything. I don't agree with you 100 percent that they are flying under the radar. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that they're kind of like a sexy uh, or, or are going to develop into kind of like a sexy team to like play uh hold out get tyrod taylor oh josh gordon oh i mean i don't know i mean maybe we're going to be responsible for that because like we're (laughs) we're certainly putting this out there um but let's talk a little bit about the browns because i agree with you that they are definitely uh you know on the track to a serious offensive turnaround uh they were last in the league we talked about the giants being second to last in the league in points last year well they were better than the browns the browns averaged (laughs) 14.6 points a game point so i mean you know if they scored two touchdowns that's that's right where they were going to fall in. Um, yeah. More likely, though, with them, like five field goals, something like that. Exactly. They will be a top 10 <laughs> offense in 2018. The Wolf has been shouting from the mountaintops. Um, I mean, we've got big value at quarterback. we got big potential value at wide receiver. I'm not exactly sure how Landry's going to fit in here, but, I mean, he's certainly a good receiver, and he's yeah. going to be the number two guy. And, I mean, you've been projecting eventual upside from the backfield, and, and you like uh, the you like the price of Chubb. I remember I said I was probably not going to be in the Chubb market, and somebody on YouTube called me an asswipe. Asswipe um, moron. Let's be specific here. <laughs> well, I was, I was trying to save a little face. Um, but anyway, talk to us a little bit about the Browns. I'm assuming you're probably going to start with Todd Haley. Of course, you got to start at the top of the coaching, and you get a marked play calling upgrade when you go from Hugh Jackson to Todd Haley, one of the brightest offensive minds in football. I know we did the coaching carousel the last couple of weeks. We talked about him two episodes back, ffbdpod.com/slash twenty-two. If you want to hear more on Todd Haley and some other coaches, uh, but ultimately, again, to repeat some of those stats, Steelers were top ten in total points, top seven in overall yardage, top five in passing yardage the last four years. They haven't been outside the top ten in points over that span. Haley's averaged 24.4 points per game over his nine seasons calling plays. And the only time below those 20 points was when he was with the Kansas City with some pretty awful, you know, Matt Castle as your quarterback, uh, you know, horrendous talent like that and he wasn't even calling the plays for two of those three seasons so I mean ultimately kind of easy to forgive him for some of those awful attacks and he still milked the most out of you know Jamal Charles and some of the rushing games Thomas Jones they, they led the league in rushing so they still put a competent offense out there even they, despite lacking talent so the guy knows what he's doing as an offensive coordinator which is a lot more than you can say about Hugh Jackson these last few years uh, so you add him in there then you get this influx of talent especially at quarterback nothing's more important for an offensive talent turnaround than a quarterback and I still firmly believe Tyrod Taylor is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL he dragged a hapless Bills team to the playoffs last year um, and, and I think he's uh, QB, QB 27 correct ranked, ranked at QB 27 right now that's just stupid it's just so, so dumb like I and cannot no, even I might even you might even be a little low on him you got him at 15 I have him at QB 15, and if you guaranteed me a 16-game season, I'd put him right back up. I had him at QB 11 before uh, Baker Mayfield was drafted. So, I mean, I I think this guy's upside's completely out of this world. you got the rushing stats, which Haley will definitely utilize. He plays to his players' strengths. you got a great deep arm with Josh Gordon, perhaps the best deep strider in the NFL right now uh, in terms of being able to just change directions on a dime, kind of that deceptive Randy Moss speed. He's going to just – if Tyron Taylor can drop it into Sammy Watkins, 
Hopkins basket and have that guy rack up a thousand yards and 10 TDs in only 14 games. Just imagine what Josh Gordon's going to do with this guy at, at quarterback. So Tyrod Taylor, huge value. We just talked about Josh Gordon. He's going as the wide receiver 17, 37th overall. I am at wide receiver 12, 27 overall. So almost a full round. Uh, I would take him earlier than what he's going right now. And I think that could still be, I mean, this guy could lead the league in receiving this year, which is just insane to think about. But Todd Haley, former wide receivers coach, bread and butter making Antonio Brown a complete stud. Larry Fitzgerald had some of his best seasons under this guy. Obviously two elite talents, but Josh Gordon physically is right on that level with these guys. Now he's going to have the best type of coaching, the intricacies of the position. A guy that Jarvis Landry, who we'll talk about in a second, has been calling unstoppable. The size, says Jarvis Landry, that this guy has and his ability to get in and out of his cuts. I think it's one of the most impressive things I've recognized and noticed. Uh, the more he continues to hone and grow with these skills as far as his route running, the kid's going to be unstoppable is what his receiving mate says. And Jarvis Landry, I know you asked, what do I expect of that guy? What do you? What's going to happen with him? I think both guys are threats. I have an article on the site right now to top a thousand yards. In fact, I, I'm going to say both will top a thousand yards. This is a guy, Todd Haley, who had Larry Fitz, Anquan Bolden, and Steve Breston, some random creature, top a thousand yard, three one thousand yard receivers under his watch. You tell me he can't make two of the top talents, uh, top a thousand yards here. Jarvis Landry again, a, di- a different receiver than Josh Gordon as well, which I think complements each other very well. More of an intermediate, short range guy running back with the ball in his hands, like we said about DJ Moore. No one embodies that more than Jarvis Landry looking for contact, running hard. You can put him in the backfield. You can put him in the slot. You can put him outside. Just a complete all-over-the-place mismatch nightmare Jarvis Landry is. I think he easily tops 1,000 yards. I think Josh Gordon, again, tops 1,000 yards. Both of these receivers end up panning out huge. I have Landry ranked kind of where he goes already. He's the wide receiver, 22, 51st overall. It's kind of right where I have him. And I think he could end up being a huge value there still, too, if he tops 1,000 yards, scored nine touchdowns last really added to his red zone repertoire just a lot to love from both receivers especially under a guy like Todd Haley with Todd and and Tyler Taylor's got to be the best quarterback both of them have ever had thrown to them I imagine uh, I think that's probably true and you know I just want to reiterate again running back 20 or quarterback 27 is just crazy that's that's okay? the insane I mean guy. it's that's just it's just crazy like I, I had the list in front of me of the guys that were Going ahead of him, I guarantee you, ten of them would just make us laugh out loud. Uh, you want you uh, want to puke real quick? Do you sure. want? Uh, fire, let, let me just fire, why don't you fire off a couple? I mean, you know, we're we're kind of preaching to the choir, talking to each other about this, but uh, you know, yeah. sometimes that's fun. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we got Baker Mayfield, his own running mate, going ahead of him that's, right now. That's or, crazy. I, there's but, a, you know, I mean, when you oh. said um, Tyrod, if you could guarantee 16 games out of him, he'd be even higher. You can't guarantee 16 games out of anybody, but I, I think if he loses this job, it's going to be due to injury. I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't even think the plan is probably to play Mayfield this year if they can help it. Obviously, they, they brought Tyrod in. They're hoping he has a good season. He's a, he's a good quarterback. Could he fall on his face? Yeah, I guess it's possible, but putting Mayfield ahead of him when Tyrod is the clear starter is just stupid. Dak Prescott? I mean, who the hell's Dak Prescott? We just talked about Blaine Jarwin well, might become his most reliable target. Like, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're telling me Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry aren't better targets than what Dak Prescott's thrown to? What is it, Alan Ernst and Blaine Ernst. Jarwin? Yeah. <laughs> of, of the you know, potted plants. The completely, yeah, exactly. Hide behind the potted plants. Even, you know, Derek Carr's going above him. Her, her, 
find the game back to 1998 and play smash mouth football back in what the hell is going on there matt ryan i would even say is shouldn't be higher than than tyrod taylor at this stage so falcons people do love to blow smoke up the falcons ass don't they Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Alex Smith going like 70 picks above Tyrod Taylor. What is what is that? You know, that's just stupid. It's stupid. I mean, and so, you know, don't buy in, folks. I'm I'm not saying that Tyrod's going to be like, you know, QB three or something like that. But QB 27 is just dumb. I mean, that means that if you are in a 14 team league. He wouldn't even maybe he'd barely be worthy of being a backup. That's just I know. That's just crazy. It's just crazy. He's a low and, end. He's a low end starter, in my opinion. And and you said you know QB three is insane. Probably not going to get that high. No, when you of got course not. Aaron I mean, Rodgers, Deshaun Watson. But think this guy only a couple seasons ago with marginal talent to throw to at best with the Bills was the QB eight for two straight seasons. So I mean, <laughs> this guy has gotten it done at a QB one level with a whole lot less to throw to. So I, I totally love the value there. I love the value with the receivers. I don't know if I love the running backs quite yet. I mean. Especially just like uh, it, I know I've been called a moronic asswipe for not buying yeah. all in on Chubb, but I'm going to push back. And this just has committee written all over it. There, there's like two established pretty good NFL running backs there. And, and then Chubb, if you like Chubb, OK. I mean, do you like him so much that he's just going to become a workhorse back at the expense of these two guys? That's crazy. He's not going to be. I mean, I, who are you going to start if you get these guys? Yeah, exactly. You know, Hyde seems like he's going to be the early season starter, like you said, but locked into a committee. He's the most expensive at 78 overall, RB31. His upside is a three-headed committee. I don't love that. I think the upside lies here with Hyde getting hurt, as he often always Mm -hmm. does, and then Chubb becoming the clear locked-in early down guy, Johnson becoming the clear receiving guy. Uh, You know, Haley has come out and said – I'm open to a workhorse emerging and riding him. Obviously, I did that with Le'Veon Bell, but I also had a three-headed horse in in the Chiefs situation when I had Jamal Charles and I had Thomas Jones, and we led the league in uh, rushing that year. So I'm also not afraid to ride a committee either. So he hasn't offered any clarity as to what this is going to be. It is going to be a committee. I would agree with you uh, based on those comments. So I'll go with the value there. I'll go with the guy going 110 overall, which is yeah. Nick Chubb, RB42. And, and, you know, Duke Johnson – Obviously, he's been a PPR monster, RB13 last year in PPR leagues. But when you add in Jarvis Landry and a very similar skill set there with the intermediate games, those routes, who are you going to really throw to? If you have one of the best receivers at that range in Jarvis Landry or Duke Johnson, I'm going Jarvis Landry every single time. And plus, you talk about tight ends then. David Yoku, this athletic freak, is also sitting there. Uh, And, you know, over 11 years of play calling, Todd Haley's never really utilized a tight end other than one time Heath Miller had like eight touchdowns and 700 yards or so and that was a the monstrous ceiling for a Todd Haley uh tight end there so I don't love Nyoku as much as a lot of these people are putting him at but the guy has been training his absolute ass off all offseason really refining that raw upside 464 40 6'4, 250 pounds and moves that well and and you're talking about doing toe drag and catches and whatnot a guy like Todd Haley does know how to use talent even if historically you know you're talking about one out of 11 tight ends have actually been legitimately a fantasy starter probably not working in David Yoku's favor but there is some raw athleticism and just the touchdown upside could be high when you got that much size that much speed and body control there really could be 10 touchdown upside so when you look at that somebody's taking a hit here my guess is going to be the, the running back position in terms of pass catching I, I just don't like Duke Johnson at all in this setup as of right now 
Yeah, I agree with your assessment. I'm not touching any of these guys, I don't think. But if I were going to grab one, like I said, and this is what I got called out for, I would uh, wait on Chubb to not do anything for a few weeks because I don't think he will. And I would either try to pick him up on waivers or get him on the cheap from somebody. Mm. Um, let's talk about the Chicago Bears. I feel like you're just going to be able to do this one on autopilot. I feel like yeah. I feel like you and I are so well-versed on uh, the Bears and their turnaround right now, uh, you know, thanks to fishduck.com and, uh, yeah. you know, some other contributors. Contributors. Uh, the Bears, 29th overall in scoring, 263 total points last year. That uh, breaks down to about 16.4 a game. Quarterback and the running backs are the big values here. I mean, Trubisky, like, man, I, you know, I'm slowly becoming kind of maybe sort of a believer. We'll see. Uh, that's about as, as hard a stance as I'm going to take. Big penny stock values are there, however. I mean, you got Taylor Gabriel. Um Gosh, I don't know. I'm scared of Taylor Gabriel, too. Yeah. Um, and and Miller at tight end. And then you got uh, Trey Burton. I mean, obviously, dripping. Mm-hmm. I like when you say people are dripping in potential. Um, I'm dripping in fucking sweat right here right. in my room right now. Right. And then, and then Shaheen, of course, who we were talking about, you know, months ago. Um, let's talk a little bit about Matt Nagy, what he's bringing to the table, and why you like this team to be an undervalued offense. This one, by the way, uh, I, I think is more sneaky sneaky undervalued as far as the turnaround uh, offense than the Browns are. I think people are kind of like the Browns are on people's radars. I don't think the bears really are. Absolutely. And I, and I, I'm like that you start with the coach for both of these questions, because that's the reason why I, I truly believe in these offensive turnarounds. Yes. The new pieces are of course uh, huge, especially with the Browns at quarterback, but we're talking about guys that can really utilize their talents. And again, if you want to check out the, the most extensive coaching breakdown out there for fantasy football, in terms of the new coaches, go to rotostreetjournal.com slash coaches, the guide 90 pages on every single new coach out there. Um, and I know like you mentioned too, we're so well-versed in the bears at this point, because we've talked about them a ton, uh, but we just, are that much of believers in them. Um, and we really want to nail this one down, right? And you mentioned Mitch Trubisky at the top there. Matt Nagy is the perfect coach to unlock this guy's upside. Matt Nagy's a, a player himself, a former player, as well as Mark Helfrich, like you mentioned, fishduck.com, a former Oregon head coach, an offensive wizard himself, uh, got fired there because the defense was so pathetic, but the team always is putting up 30-plus points a game under Helfrich, and also another former quarterback. I love when the coaches are former quarterbacks so they really know how to simplify the game and bring it to the quarterback's level. Uh, and he's got both of that going for him, Mitch Trubisky does. So even if I don't love him individually as a talent, uh, I love some things he can bring to the table. Most importantly, his deep arm, his absolute cannon, which he has. That was his big calling card coming out of college. That's something that Matt Nagy's going to make humongous uses of him. Alex Smith led the league last year with a, a mediocre arm at best, uh, with 62 deep attempts, 1,344 deep passing yards, 12 deep passing touchdowns and 131.4 passer rating on deep passes under Matt Nagy, who again, his calling card, everything he says about his offense, aggressive, vertical, going for the big play, pushing it hard. Whereas Mitch Trubisky, only 30 deep attempts last year, half of those, only 10 deep completions, but 108.1 passer rating on those deep throws. So he was getting it done well. It just was conservative, awful John Fox was keeping him reined in. So now you got a uh, a play caller who knows his quarterback strengths, going to use him to his absolute fullest. And that also includes his mobility. Trubisky runs a 4-6 as well. Uh, So the guy's a complete athletic freak in terms of his running ability, at least for the quarterback position. Uh, Tons of RPOs came out of uh, Kansas City last year. Lots of rollouts. You got to imagine a lot of designed runs 
from those Oregon days from Mark Helfrich, just everything about that deep shots and running ability equals huge points for fantasy quarterbacks. So not everybody gets, and I think those are going to be coming in spades for Mitch Trubisky, which makes him a huge value here this year. QB 17 for me, QB 23 for the experts going 45 spots later, 168 uh, versus 123, which is where I take him. Going 45 spades later than where I would take him. If you can go Tyrod Taylor and, and Mitch Trubisky back-to-back, I think you're, you're getting yourself at least one great fantasy starter, especially, obviously, you pair him with Pat Mahomes, who I can't stop raving about. Uh, you, you pair those three up, make that your stable. You'll cut one of them, obviously, come week two or three when you realize which one of them. I, don't, I can't imagine all three of those guys pan out to be QB1s, but at least one, if not two, of those guys should. So load up, give yourself those three at bats with those three guys and I'm promising you you'll get one quarterback one Mitch Trubisky being a great stab at it at running back of course we got Jordan Howard kind of came out of nowhere like two years ago mm-hmm. um, and like didn't he kind of kind of take over for Matt Forte I think yep, is that exactly. right and uh and you know kind of became like a, a real fantasy factor I'm pretty sure he was a top 10 guy maybe even a top five guy by the time it was said and done Um, and then last year he you know carried a ton of value in and maybe was a little overvalued even Um, and now I kind of think maybe it's swung back the other way Um, they've got him at 25 overall he's the running back 15 I know you are significantly higher on him especially it's rare to be you know a a chunk of spots higher when you get that high up on the list but where do you have Jordan Howard yeah, so 25 overall is where he's going by the experts. I have him right around 19 to 20 overall. So like you said, there's only so far you can rise. Um, but Howard, I, I don't get why he's ranked lower than what he was ranked last year, which was a fringe first rounder last year. After he's gone back-to-back seasons over 1,200 rushing yards. I mean, he's had the third most rushing yards in the leagues over the last two years. The only guys he trails, Levy. Bell needs more yardage than Gurley last year. You know, the, the guy's absolutely crushed it um, the last couple of years. So he's been doing that also in maybe one of the worst offenses, absolutely probably 29th in points last year. Yeah, this guy's racked up 2,435 rushing yards and 15 TDs in those 31 games. So he's been an absolute beast. And now the offense, as we talk about, is, in our opinion, going to take a marked step forward under Matt Nagy. That means way more touchdowns. It means more open lanes. I can't see him really talking hopping the you know, 1,250 or so yards he's averaged the last couple of years, but I see him every right maintaining that. I mean, Kareem Hunt led the league in rushing under Matt Nagy last year. I think Howard's probably a better just natural rusher. The worry there is obviously the hands. He's got horrible hands, maybe the worst hands in the league, uh, the, the worst drop percentage over the last two years for running backs, and Nagy loves to throw to his running backs. That's what you got Tariq Cohen for. So, I mean, I'm talking about Howard maintaining that rushing upside, plus he only had nine rushing touchdowns last year. If this offense is going to be in the red zone way more often, as I expect. I could see 15-ish touchdowns, maybe even leading the league in touchdowns, Jordan Howard, uh, for, for a running back. And he's a great short yardage guy, very efficient on those type of carries. Uh, every Everything about him screams huge value. I mean, you look at Gurley last year, late third round, the offense took a huge step forward. Those touchdowns took a huge step forward. I can see that happening to Howard, him being a bonafide RB1 that you get in round three. Absolute great value for him. Um, and we mentioned Tariq Cohen. Obviously, that, that's the other part of this equation. The pass catching, horrendous for Jordan Howard. Absolutely thrives in the game Tariq Cohen does as a receiver. We've raved about him on this podcast time and time again. So I don't need to go too too deep into it. But again, 
nobody's learned more of the offense than Tariq Cohen uh, other than Mitch Trubisky, so the reporters say, because he's been moving over to slot. He's been moving to outside receiver. He's been playing in the backfield, lining up on the same field as Jordan Howard. So it's not just like a instant committee situation. They'll be on the field at the same time. The guy's doing it all. He's going all over the place, a very cerebral, athletic freak, a human joystick. I mean, that's his nickname. So explosive, led the league in uh, pro football focus uh, breakaway percentage. So the, the amount of runs he had of 15 plus were the highest in the league in terms of his percentage of carries. So the guy's a complete explosive freak that's going to see his volume spike this year and go up a ton under Matt Nagy because he's going to be utilized far more properly. So he's going 77th overall. I have him a solid uh, around and a half higher than that, right around 60. Even though our running back ranking, he, he's you know, RB28, is right around where I have him. He goes RB33 or so for the expert. So kind of similar in that sense. I just value those RBs a lot higher than the expert consensus and have Tariq Cohen a, a significant bump ahead. So much more upside, too, as well for this guy. All right, real quick, let's hit the Bears receivers. Allen Robinson, uh, man, it is – I don't know what to think about him. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's undervalued. I don't know if he's overvalued, but he's there. I mean, he's a former number one receiver. Um, and then mm-hmm. and then hit the tight ends real quick. Tell, tell me what you think about those slots. Yeah, so Allen Robinson, you know, it, it's tricky to go too low on the guy because he does have pure target hog upside. He's got that build. He's going 42 overall right now, wide receiver 17, which is right about where I have him because of that upside to be a true target hog. But ultimately, Nagy kind of thrives at spreading the ball around. He hasn't really operated with that true number one receiver. Uh, But the verticality does fit into Allen Robinson's strength. In 2015, when he had that massive season, uh, he led the league in yards, uh, 20-plus yard catches, was absolutely dominant after the catch. So the guy is an absolute freak. But he's also two seasons removed from being anything useful. So there is a lot of risk there with Allen Robinson as well. Plus, they added Taylor Gabriel. You mentioned at the, the top of this segment some big penny stocks and Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller, you know, Taylor Gabriel brings some of the biggest jets in the league, an absolute burner. We know our girl Gina Thompson, uh, Thomas, loves Taylor Gabriel when he was with the Falcons, raved about him, made, identified him as a huge sleeper that year. He broke out for us, uh, which was which is great because nobody else was even mentioning Taylor Gabriel's name. The guy has huge jets, which they're going to try to utilize to the absolute fullest. Again, the vertical offense, that's Taylor Gabriel's thing. He, he really profiles nicely to Tyree Kill, who we just saw dominate under Matt Nagy. He's going to get Tyree Kill's 105 targets, probably not, but 80 or so. He could do some real damage. He'd be one of those flexes that you're just scared to face because you could blow up for that 19, 20 point game out of the bye week flex. So Boomer Bus is probably coming for Taylor Gabriel, has always been his calling cards, but they're saying they're using him on runs and all these design screens in addition to sending him streaking. So I see him getting used much more properly, and he's going real quick. I'm looking up his ADP right now, Taylor Gabriel. 357th overall, so really just not getting drafted clearly. Wide receiver, 111. So, I mean, huge upside for a guy that's going undrafted. At least throw him on your watch list. And then Anthony Miller, despite making all these additions, they they spent a second-round, high second-round draft pick to get Anthony Miller. And what I loved was Matt Nagy's quote on him where he said, you see a guy run routes a particular way and say, hmm, that's exactly how I'm going to use this guy. So he's looked at him and said, you know, I love the way this guy loves routes. Compared to Antonio Brown, 
down actually for the way that he's you know a smaller guy that's just so silky smooth in and out of his breaks so fast after the catch where he just catches it in stride and just keeps going uh, everything about Anthony Miller says he's just a smooth intermediate deep all over the field type of threat if they didn't absolutely love him they wouldn't have spent the early second round draft capital to get him despite having some other glaring needs obviously the Bears had so they love this guy two complete penny stocks and Anthony Miller and uh, Taylor Gabriel. And then you talk about the, the round out the pass catchers. Trey Burton, he's a guy getting a lot of fanfare right now because, and deservedly so, we saw what Travis Kelsey has done the last couple of years uh, under Nagy last year and over the, the, the few last seasons in that West Coast Andy Reid tree. Uh, he, he's been a dark, dominant target hog, and we've seen Nagy loves that U tight end, they call it, the, the move tight end, the guy that's going to split out wide, not really do any block, and just be a pure receiver. They've already said Trey Burton's pigeonholed for that role. Going as a tight end 10, 94th overall is about right for him, though. I, I'm not saying if, if Adam Shaheen wasn't there, I'd be a lot higher on Trey Burton, but they also love Adam Shaheen. They're going to run a lot of two tight end sets. They've already come out and said that. And Shaheen's the guy that's going to be in there in those red zone packages when they load up the line. He's the big guy, the blocking guy, 6'7". I can totally see Shaheen eating into that touchdown upside, which caps Burton's ceiling, even if he's a five-catch, 60-yard guy. The, tight, the touchdowns might not be there quite like they were for Travis Kelsey because of that presence of Shaheen. So I'm not as in love with Burton as some other experts are. Okay, that's fair. I mean, uh, that seems like another one that I might be inclined to stay away from just because we don't know. But I feel like it's going to sort itself out in the four or five game game in range. And then one of those guys could potentially be a real score, Mm -hmm. I I think. All right. Absolutely. That's the Bears for you. You heard about the Bears. You heard about the Browns. Uh, You know, coming up up on another episode, you might even get the Titans. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to get you too excited, but it's possible. It's a possibility. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back to wrap things up right after this. Hey, I'm the mailman. I'm the mailman. Yeah, the real one. All right, uh, we're going to do one quick – I said we're going to wrap it up. We're going to do one quick mailbag, and then we're going to wrap it up. How about that? Yeah, we want those questions to start pouring in. That's that time of the year right here where, where they start – the Meat Sweats even texted me recently saying, you ready for fantasy football season? I've been bald deep in baseball, and I, I want to get my nuts out. So Okay. <laughs> sounds like we're going to have the Meat Sweats joining us again soon, I hope. I can't wait. Um, all right, you got two, uh, two emails for us, right? Why don't you bust them out? Yeah, the first one was just a simple one. Uh, if you had your choice between Nelson Aguilar and Sterling Shepard, who would you go? And that's a, that's a really hard one because um, they're both kind of upside guys that go late. I know Nelson Aguilar is obviously coming off the much better year. Um, that That's tricky. And they're both – I'm looking at their ADPs right now, the average draft position. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, I, I think they're both excellent values. So Me there's too. no reason you can't go them both. Nelson Aguilar going at 112 overall. Sterling Shepard going at 109. So very similar draft range. It's probably why this question is posed. Why not try to get them both, though? Go around early on one of them um, and take the other one the next round. If I had to choose, though, I know that's a cop-out answer. Uh, so it's I'm a not total cop-out answer. I, I'll <laughs> say it right now. Gun to my head, I'd take Shepard. Um, I, I think he's the slightly better receiver. Um, yeah. I don't like his quarterback situation as much, but he is playing uh, opposite OBJ, assuming he stays healthy. I think the guy's going to haul in a lot of passes. I think he's established himself as a really good NFL receiver. I expect mm-hmm. that to continue, even as you've heard me bashing Eli Manning. 
And, and to buoy your point, uh, Pat Shermer's loved his slot receivers. We saw Sterling Shepard play 86% of the snaps out of the slot the last two years, and we saw Adam Thielen absolutely dominate in that role. Obviously, OBJ is the top target. Uh, you got Saquon Barkley going to catch a ton of balls there, too. So at third best on the target totem pole, maybe even behind Evan Ingram. I think he's a little bit higher on his own team's target totem pole. I like the fact that he plays with Carson Wentz. I think the surrounding talent upgrade is significant there. We saw a huge step forward when he got moved to the slot last year. And who says he doesn't keep refining his game and getting even better uh, in year two? Alshon Jeffrey, historically very injury prone. I could see him missing some time and Aguilar ending up becoming that true number one receiver. Much more likely than Sterling Shepard. Even if I think Shepard's better at shouldering that role. We saw a bunch of 11 catch games, two of them last year. The guy can be a complete target monster in Sterling Shepard. So I love both these guys. I think both of them are insane values. Uh, but I would side with Nelson Aguilar myself. All right. We're going to wrap it up on the mailbag with just a really broad question that could, you know, this could be like a whole show. But uh, Phil has a question. Yes. Auction versus snake. Definitely a very general question. Uh, in terms of personal preference, I'm better at snakes. I like snakes better because I'm better at them. There's less thinking involved. You don't have to worry about someone else upbidding you and what's the price of this guy and that. There's less thinking involved. And for me, that works out fine. <laughs> you know, the, the daily draft wizards, the mock drafts, you can just rip through them and kind of get into a groove and just know where everyone's going and have a sense. The auction's a whole different beast. You have no idea when someone's getting nominated how much money someone's going to go for you know carlos hyde last year went for two bucks in my auction because nobody else had any money and then he ended up being you know the rb9 so a huge value you just never know how it's going to unfold but that's also part of the beauty of an auction is it, it should reward the best fantasy players because you're not locked right. into anybody you everybody has a stab at Gurley. everybody has a stab at bell you're not locked into your slot and so you can't kind of build a groove that way you end up with more interesting roster compositions um it's just hard though as well if you have a couple incompetent owners they can really blow the auction by not spending on anybody and then they start blowing all their money on all these late round guys and then all these early teams are loaded there's so much to think about the flow of an auction the you know are people going for too cheap early you gotta jump in there's so much strategy involved we can do a whole episode on auctions for sure i would say if you're, you know, if you have 12 strong owners, auctions are awesome. I would highly recommend everybody does at least one auction. I am a little bit pissed that my main league is an auction draft. I wish it was a snake because I'm better at them. But I'm also happy that I have an auction draft to participate in because they are really fun. Every single pick you're involved in and engaged in. Um, but if I had to pick one to do for all my leagues the rest of my life, it's easily snake because I'm just better at it. Yeah, I'm better at snake also. I'm always I'm very intrigued by auction. Uh, it. I think auction's kind of like playing poker. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you could be a really good fantasy player, but you could end up in an auction draft with someone who's like a better poker player than you. And yeah. you could end up like getting put over a barrel kind of uh, accidentally. All of a sudden. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. Auction, uh, snake is like, if, if you know your guys, if you know who you want, um, you're, you're going to be able to build uh, a team pretty close to what you want. Um, you know, there's, there's pros and cons of each one. Um, you know, you can't go wrong. Fantasy is a great game. Uh, it's the you know, best. Yeah. <laughs> drafting your team one of those two ways, you'll be fine. All right. And now, for real, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, it's been fun getting back on the horse for episode number 24. Uh, we'll be back sooner with episode uh, 25 than we made you wait for this last one. Uh, now we're mm -hmm. both back to kind of our regular lives. Um, yeah. You got any social media you want to throw out there real quick? 
Of course. Uh, you can visit ffbdpod.com for our website for the, the fancy fullback dive here. We're obviously based off the product of rotostreetjournal.com, our oh, yeah. main hub. Um, visit our social medias, Roto Street Journal, at Facebook, on Instagram, especially Facebook. We're going to debut a bunch of new broadcasts coming soon on Facebook TV. So make sure you're following us there. Follow us everywhere, though. Roto ST Journal on Twitter and Snapchat. And me personally, you can find it Roto Street Wolf on Twitter and Snapchat and soon to be Instagram. I always say that, but I'm finally making that switch. Instagram is where it's at these days. So you got to be I one of those guys that takes pictures of like your food. Like if you go to Olive Garden or something, you like take a picture <laughs> of your food and like. Anyway, that, that you should yes. you should be that kind of Instagram. I'm guy. sure everyone would love that for the fantasy advice, right? Sure. This- uh, we are going to be debuting actually now. You'll love this show, a show called Roto Street Eats, where we uh, review local food places and compare the food to a, a fantasy player. You know, how we do our like woman yeah, at the bar. Of course, I love that. Yeah, I'm in totally. I hope, so, I hope yeah. you I hope you swing out to my part of the state sometime so I can be a, a guest star. I'm not that far away. We'll do a feature episode together. Absolutely. All right, that sounds really good. All right, my name is Nat the Truth Jones, and I'm the Wolf. See you guys later. We used to have it all. Now's our curtain call So hold for the applause Oh, oh, oh And wave out to the crowd And take our final bow Oh, it's our time to go But at least we stole the show 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 Old-fashioned football right there, folks.